0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hello, this is Joya Italiano, this
0: is Jeff Ekman,
1: and welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies.
0: Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry, we use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics.
1: That's right, we're not experts at all, we're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff, but this stuff is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two, here we go.
1: Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Fresh goes better. Mementos, fresh and full sh- Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what reminds me of Memento?
0: Memento, the fresh maker. <laughs> That's
1: true. <laughs> <We> Not watched- <laughs> fresh. This guy, well, he's just all over the place.
0: He, he can't keep his memory fresh, okay. or his memory is always fresh. Right. I don't know how it's you want to put fresh. it. It's too fresh all the time. <laughs> so we watched the movie Memento, which oh is God. written by Chris Nolan and Jonathan Nolan, and directed by Chris Nolan, who has done movies that you may have heard of. <laughs> The Dark Knight.
1: Yeah, a little something called The Dark Knight. But was this one of his first major ones? This was, like,
0: one of his earlier movies. This kind of put him on the map, and then he did Batman Begins, and then, you know, we've done another movie of his called Interstellar.
1: Oh, fuck yeah. Which is
0: also co-written by Jonathan Nolan. Like, Jonathan Nolan co-created the modern HBO Westworld.
1: Right, and Jonathan Nolan, if you didn't notice, is Christopher Nolan's brother. That's right. I read that they were on some kind of cross-country road trip, Mm -hmm. and, like, Jonathan still had some more time before he had to go to Georgetown, and so they just kind of talked out the screenplay. I also read that it was based on Jonathan Nolan's
0: short short story, Story. Memento Mori. So they just kind of
1: like talked it out. And by the end of it, they were like, we got a whole screenplay.
0: Let's listen to the trailer. Let's do that. Where am I? Some anonymous motel room. I guess I've already told you about my condition.
1: Oh, well, only every time I see you.
0: It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just, since my injury, I can't make new memories. I've told you this before, haven't I? What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. Dying. Just because there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless. You wanna get this guy, don't you? I killed my wife. He took away my fucking memory. Trust yourself. Trust your own judgment. You can question everything. You can never know anything for sure. You know, I've had more rewarding friendships than this one. Although, I do get to keep telling the same jokes.
1: My dad would love being able to tell the same jokes You're over and saying, over again. I mean he does He does, does. It anyway? he does yeah. but he does. I just don't enjoy it. <laughs> Yikeronis, that trailer was Art of, house the, yeah, as fuck. art house is
0: fuck, I think, is the right way to put it.
1: <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, so I had never seen this movie before, so there was a lot happening. Like, mm. it's millennial as all get out, yes right? Just, is. like, the look of Guy Pearce with his frosted tips mm. and his, like, beige suit and shit. Mm. Like, mm. woof.
0: <laughs>
1: but good, though. I mean, like, it, of course, at first I was like, I'm having a hard time following this thing until you realize you're supposed to be having a hard time following yeah,
0: it's, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally going backwards. Right. <laughs> it's hard to follow. Yeah. I mean many medical experts have cited the movie as featuring one of the most realistic and accurate depictions of anterograde amnesia in the history of movies yeah
1: man I did a huge dive on anterograde amnesia for this week and it's it is very fascinating because like the whole premise is that he has to basically leave himself little mementos leave himself little breadcrumbs Mm. because he knows who he is right like that part of his brain that knew those facts weren't affected but just any short term memories new memories were not able to be codified so Mm -hmm. he has to leave all these Polaroids and shit around
0: yeah and in the meantime Time he's looking for the guy who killed his wife, which I I wound up doing like a mini research onto like have there been stories in real life of people. Oh going, like, real looking, takins, like real life takens? Like uh, real life takens or real life like vengeance stories. Yeah. And I did find one that was pretty fucked up because the guy like this guy basically in Italy was worried that the courts weren't gonna do justice because somebody ran a red light, killed his wife. Oh yeah. And he went and shot the guy and then goes and like lays the gun on his wife's grave and then posts a picture of Russell Crowe in Gladiator. <laughs> Onto his Facebook page because like the whole thing of, in Gladiator is he's like trying to get revenge right. on his family's killer, totally. and then uh, he turned himself in.
1: Yikes! Okay, vigilante justice. Mm-hmm. No masks, no costumes. None just necessary. He just found guy. him
0: at like a cafe and shot him. Wow. Yeah.
1: Not quite as. Ooh, what's gonna happen? Who, right. who, who, who done it? Yeah. Well, okay. So I found that Chris Nolan, his first choice for the role of Leonard, which is who Guy Pearce ended up playing, was Alec Baldwin. Whoa. I know. And like even Brad Pitt had expressed interest in signing up to play him, but it would have been great. Pitt would have been great, but he, you know, obviously had to leave because of scheduling commitments. So it was after that that Nolan decided to not consider any other A-list actors because he realized that having, you know, a talented but lesser-known lead actor would allow for the film's budget to be more evenly distributed. Mm. So he nearly cast Aaron Eckhart oh but then eventually it was given over to guy pierce and i feel like that was our biggest complaint is like when we started i was like yeah guy pierce household name he's a good guy right that's what i remember <laughs> yeah. and then the moment he started i was like what's his fucking face. Yeah, it was
0: like because you were like, you're like, why don't we see him anymore? And it was like because he might have not been that good. And I was like, no. Ever. And then <laughs> you watch it. the movie and you're like, he almost ruins a great movie. I know,
1: just dead behind the eyes. And then like Carrie Ann Moss personally recommended Joe Pantoliano to play Teddy. Oh,
0: because they knew yeah. each other from The Matrix. The Matrix.
1: They became really good friends. And at first, Nolan and the producers were, you know, they were unsure because usually his characters are like obviously villainous Uh so they weren't sure if he had the right nuance but you know he's so he was so talented he just knocked it out of the park and I actually thought this was awesome like I've heard this as being a really strong Joey Pants movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah he's fucking great
0: he is fucking great great I I love the movie the movie itself is great it's really thoughtful it's got a lot to say
1: yeah yeah I think I I think I liked it I mean I feel like with a movie like this that is so incredibly disjointed and you don't really know what's going on until like Kind of have at least halfway right. through. I would probably rewatch it to just be like, "Oh, all right," because I was definitely distracted by Guy Pierce's dumb face right. for a long time. I was like, "Wait, why?" And so it's so millennial. Like I said, it's weird well, to be able to look back on a time and be like, "That was very precisely in the year." It's, 2000- got, it's like got a gimmick <laughs> yeah. that
0: it's doing, and you know, you're either kind of on board for that, or you're kind of like rolling your eyes at it. Yeah. And I think, like in its day, it was like even more groundbreaking. Oh hell yeah! But. I, mean, I still a, enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah,
1: there's a, definitely a reason why it's kind of like a cult phenomenon. Mm. But Guy Pierce is no longer with us on the <laughs> on the silver screen.
0: This movie involves memories.
1: Mem- memories, not, not memories. Memories.
0: No. <laughs> no, uh, boobs. no boobs. No boobs. All sorts of memories. So thinking about exactly where our memory is stored in the brain, I read that. It's it's not that our memory is all in one place in the brain, but it's a whole brain-wide process. Mm-hmm. So there's several different areas that act together. Right. This is actually known as distributed processing, which is also a computer term for when you allow, like, a task to be done by multiple computers that are networked together. Right. Is well, distributed network, yeah.
1: I, well, I just I forget which other movie we did that was very memory-based, but you definitely, we, we started covering this.
0: Exactly, exactly. And And so, like, you take the act of riding a bike. Mm-hmm. The memory of how to operate the bike comes from one area of the brain. The memory of how to get from here to the end of the block comes from another part of the right, brain. The okay. memory of bike safety rules come f- from another part of the brain. And then like the nervous feeling that you get when the car comes dangerously close comes from yet another part of right, the brain.
1: Of like, I know that this is gonna hurt. Exactly, I'm scared. <laughs> exactly. And all
0: of these things are firing at once. And so each element of a memory like sights or sounds or emotions is encoded in that part of the brain. Mm. So, like the visual cortex took in the sights and that's the part that fires for the sight part of your memory. Right, and totally. then like, but they all, like your your hearing goes into that part of the brain and everything fires at once and to And all recreate. of the,
1: like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like all of the associated... Like you see something, Mm -hmm. it makes you think of a smell, and Mm -hmm. then you—wow! Such like a chain reaction.
0: Yeah, and then it like refires the exact same thing that it fired when it like did the recording, right? And plays it back for you. Which is
1: why those memories can feel so very vivid.
0: Exactly. Ah, okay. But this leads to a situation where even if part of the brain is damaged, some parts of an experience can still stay. So like even if you lose part of your memory of a thing, you can still like know the bike safety rules right. but forget how to get to the end of the block or you know so
1: it's like the difference between being able to recall facts and then like being able to recall like autobiographical information right. and those kinds of things like yeah you might remember the skill of playing the piano even though you have no memory of ever receiving some kind of music education right or
0: the song or the itself. Song. Right. yeah exactly yeah. And, and then it's like I started reading about how short term and long term memories are encoded and stored in different ways and in different parts of the brain I, I know that you were going into all the amnesia stuff and. a mm-hmm bit about more about like the differences between short-term and long-term with anterograde and all that. And
1: retrograde amnesia. Yeah, mm. definitely. So from my previous research, I had discovered that psychologists have classified various ways in which we forget, and biologists have studied forgetting mechanisms at the s- cellular level, and they basically mm. determined that forgetting is very normal, and it's actually vital to how the brain works, and kind of like... You know, reconsolidates memories because, you know, we experience a lot in our lives. It makes sense that some shit you're like, I don't need to remember this.
0: So it it kind of deletes the old memories to make room for new ones. Yeah. And it's literally erasing those cells.
1: I don't know if it's literally erasing the the cells themselves, but like, okay, so here's an example. In one common but mysterious short-term memory failure, people find themselves in a room without remembering how they ended up there. That's even how this movie starts, right. certainly how Cube started, remember? <laughs> Researchers say in these circumstances, the doorway may be to blame hmm. because the very act of walking through a doorway may hint to the brain that a new scene has started and it should store prior memories away, thereby causing strange memory lapses. Oh, so man. it's it's it acts as this kind of event boundary in the mind which separates episodes of activity. And so it's like recalling the decision or activity that that was made in a different room is difficult because it has literally been compartmentalized, That's literally and figuratively compartmentalized. Awesome. <laughs> right. So these these mental event boundaries help us organize mental timelines and remember not just where but when a particular event happened.
0: Wow! And it's so cool to think of like a doorway as literally being this threshold that right. you cross, and your brain like it yeah. sets a barrier there. Exactly. And it's you a new were event. Also, yeah, yeah. You were talking about like the memory palace a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and the whole idea of like. Yeah, I, I imagine like if you store something in the different room of your memory palace, it's a whole different kind of compartment that you can walk into.
1: Right, yeah, because like a brief refresher, the memory palace idea is like, you know, associating the things that you have to remember with parts of your house or like parts of a place that you know very well. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I got to get o- orange juice. So I'm going to imagine a giant glass of OJ in the right. middle of my kitchen or whatever <laughs> that I know well. So yeah, it's crazy to think about physical space mm-hmm. being so linked to you know what we remember and certainly in the in the realm of false memories and repressed memories and stuff like that. So moving into amnesia, though, amnesia is this general term for a condition in which either stored memories or the process of committing something to memory is disturbed or lost to a greater extent than simple everyday forgetting or absent-mindedness, like where's Mm -hmm. my keys, my wallet, that kind of thing. Or if you smoke a lot of weed and the (laughs) short-term memory, those kinds of things. Right. Now, amnesia may result from a cranial trauma, like a blow to the head. It can result from a stroke, which is just a burst artery in the brain, a tumor if it presses against the brain, hypoxia which is lack of oxygen and you know certain kinds of encephalitis chronic alcoholism all of these things that are fucking with your brain, right?
0: Anything that's like inflammation in the brain, blood in the brain.
1: Like blackout drunk means just that, you're messing with your memories. So even intense stress can cause the sympathetic nervous system to activate the adrenal glands, which then secrete certain hormones into the bloodstream, which can significantly affect the plasticity of the brain's neurons, which is the neurons' ability to change and strengthen connections. So there's two main types of amnesia. There's retrograde amnesia. This is where someone is unable to recall events that occurred before the development of the amnesia, even though they may be able to encode and memorize new things that occur after the onset of this the amnesia. This is your
0: Jason Bourne. You're, yeah, that's Your right. you're real picture, that picture that your traditional amnesia. He doesn't
1: know where he came from.
0: But the, yeah, it's like right. he shows up on a boat and he's like, I don't know who I am, but then it turns right. out he's a secret agent.
1: Ah, okay, okay, okay. Well, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen But okay, <laughs> so yeah, he's got retrograde. Night. You
0: pick the movie. <laughs> Well, you pick the spy.
1: <laughs> it's not that he can't form new memories. It's that he doesn't know from whence he came. Yes. Ah, okay. The retrograde amnesia usually results from damage to the brain regions, such as the temporal lobe and prefrontal cortex. So typically, episodic memory is more severely affected than semantic memory. This means that the patient may remember words and general knowledge, such as like who their country's leader is, how everyday objects work, but mm. not specific events in their lives. Procedural memories, which are memories of skills, habits, and how to perform everyday functions, are typically typically not affected at all.
0: Hey, it just really goes to show how many different places in the brain things are stored and yeah. like I know we just talked about that but I'm just like it blows my fucking yeah. mind to know the president but not know like what you did that day Yeah, is like where did the knowledge of the who the president yeah. is come in
1: exactly it's crazy and in generally remote memories are more easily accessible than events occurring just prior to the trauma so that's even weirder to be like I remember my fifth birthday right? but I don't remember what I had for lunch
0: which is old people say that all the time right oh yeah like it, that they're memories are way more vivid the deeper in the past in their past yeah than what they did that morning yeah
1: now and this is because the neural pathways of newer memories are not as strong as older ones because older memories are constantly being strengthened reinforced. and reconsolidated, mm-hmm. so they seem stronger and stronger i know you've so, talked
0: about that before as far mm-hmm. as like memory and training your your brain to remember something more specifically is mm-hmm. like you reinforce those pathways to write over them and write over them and then you like get in your head, the very specific memory, but doing that process can also alter the memory.
1: Totally. And, and like, again, that's where it gets really dicey. We'll talk about it later with the anterograde mm-hmm. amnesia in terms of like what is a false memory versus what is a repressed memory. Right. You know, and if you're doing psychotherapy and like what the, the brain is a magical place. I even
0: saw a thing about like if you ask somebody what color was the killer's hat. Mm-hmm. The, even if the person wasn't wearing a hat, it can put in their head that like they're like, they're like, it was definitely black. It yeah. was d- definitely a black hat. To- it changes in your mind.
1: It's a loaded question. Very loaded <laughs> like the, question. There is no spoon. <laughs> okay, so there's no actual cure for retrograde amnesia, but jogging the victim's memory by exposing them to significant articles from their past will often at least speed the rate of recall. Perhaps the best known example of retrograde amnesia actually turned out to be a scam because there was this guy, Philip Stauffen, which is actually the name of a medieval German king, but it was the first name this man came up with when he woke up. He was also known as Mr. Nobody. He was this guy in his late 20s with a slight Yorkshire accent, but no other identification, and he woke up in a Toronto hospital in 1999 with what appeared to be severe retrograde amnesia. But after various attempts to obtain Canadian citizenship and to legally change his name, he turned out to be this Romanian guy called Skywald Skyed. and he had no. There was no evidence of amnesia at all. It was just a big old scammeroony. What
0: was the scam?
1: That he's a guy who was trying to get Canadian citizenship
0: oh, by he lying. <laughs> he's just trying to get Canadian citizenship. I don't know how I got
1: here. Uh, I got this. I'm
0: definitely native to your land.
1: Yeah, even though I have a Yorkshire accent.
0: <laughs> there's a lot there's of there's issues. There's a lot in that going going on. On. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Wow. So
1: that's retrograde amnesia. Let's move to enterograde amnesia. This is what Leonard, our protagonist in the movie, has. Mm -hmm. This is the more common of the two types. This is where the ability to memorize new things is impaired or lost because data does not transfer successfully from the conscious short-term memory into permanent long-term memory. It can be temporary. It could be as a result of a blackout caused by alcohol, of course, can also be permanent if the hippocampus is damaged because your hippocampus plays an important role in forming memories. So even like a concussion, a heart attack, oxygen deprivation, as a result of epilepsy, this can all trigger this kind of thing. And less commonly, it can be caused by shock or an emotional disorder.
0: Well, it's interesting to think, like, I didn't realize so much that drinking interrupted the transition from short term to long term and that's why you black out that's really interesting because yeah it's like you still are kind of like making your way through the darkness in your mind and you're like oh I do remember that now right
1: and like well I mean god between fucking dude where's my car and the hangover it's like (laughs) we've all been there but it's like once you see things then you're like right 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 that's jogging my memory
0: but like yeah for some reason I always thought like it wasn't even putting the memories down right when they were drunk but I like the idea that it's like they were kind Kind of being recorded into short-term memory and it was that process of from consolidating to long-term, to long-term that, got right, up. that got fucked up totally of course that chemical alcohol is gonna do that
1: right <laughs> so long-term memories from before the event that caused this trauma generally remain intact so sufferers might repeat comments or questions several times or fail to recognize people they met just minutes before and again usually they only lose their declarative memory which is the recollection of facts but they retain non declarative or procedural memory which is the learning of skills and habits again with your bicycle riding thing it's like they may remember how to do The bicycle riding, Mm -hmm. but they may not remember what they had for lunch that day. Mm. So we now know that this is because procedural memory does not rely on the hippocampus and medial temporal lobe memory system in the same way as declarative memory. So again, like the facts are (laughs) in a different part than the procedure. It's fucking craze balls. Yeah.
0: It's like, why isn't it simpler?
1: Yeah. Come (laughs) on, brain. Like... Millions of years of evolution. Simplicity, guys.
0: Like, when you look at a computer, there's the hard drive. It's all stored in there. And you yeah. can look at it. Like- well,
1: well, and especially when you think about, like, do folks with amnesia know that they have amnesia That's like are question. they aware perhaps the most famous case of enterograde amnesia is that of a patient usually known as HM he was most more recently identified as Henry Gustav Molaison he died in 2008
0: okay I, I think I read that like the movie is loosely based on HM
1: yeah like there's definitely references but this guy HM he had been unable to form new memories since undergoing brain surgery in 1953 at age 27 his hippocampus was removed as a treatment for a severe epilepsy but most of the rest of his brain remained functional this reminds me remember we were talking about how they used to do fucking lobotomies, lobotomies and shit yeah. to to get rid of these epileptic attacks and mm-hmm. seizures and stuff but it resulted often in a lot of these same issues because it's like you're removing your brain yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. what are we doing <laughs> yeah yeah. So when only the hippocampus is affected, patients tend to be aware of their condition. So, like, even though HM could not remember most events in the year or two before surgery, or even some events up to 11 years before, when he was asked who the president was, he might say something like, I'm sorry, but my memory isn't very good. Uh-huh. So he knew that he, like, why he wasn't able to do it. He
0: knew his memory was bad.
1: Right. And also, his amygdala, which governs our emotions, was also removed, which some experts said explains his kind of unemotional matter of fact, like, my memory is not good.
0: Oh. Maybe yeah. that's why Guy Pierce was so dead behind the eyes. He was playing <laughs> yeah, into that. That's true. It's my amygdala. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 I, I don't I, have any emotions. Got
1: fucked up. <laughs> that's, that's why I can't act, bro. <laughs> yeah, so it's generally easier for retrograde amnesiacs to... I saw like amnesiac and then like the correct term is amnesic.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I, I actually ran into this recently completely separate from this where I was like I was like, they're using it wrong. Isn't it amnesiacs? And my friend was like, No, that's it's singular is right. the plural. I, like I was like, Oh, I'm, just, I'm an idiot. I'm thinking I aphrodisiac,
1: amnesiac, yeah. yeah. bada bing, bada boom. Anyway, so it's generally <laughs> easier for retrograde amnesiacs to become aware of their condition since they can create and retain new memories, including the realization that they have a bad memory.
0: Right. So, so they, it, they can be like, I know that up until this point yeah. I have no memories. But,
1: but my life is going to be okay from here on out because i it's not like i'm having to ask how i got here every 10 seconds which you know I
0: mean? grade amnesia they can never know that they are even Well, it
1: it depends on the severity of their condition, you know, Mm -hmm. like if their entire brain is damaged, a patient may be unaware of their memory loss. This is why people who have advanced Alzheimer's often don't recognize their condition because it's more than just the hippocampus that's damaged. It is very rare for anyone to experience total and permanent amnesia. So one very well-known case of this is... That of the British musician Clive Wearing, who suffered damage to his brain as a result of a herpes encephalitis virus, oh, which is an infection that attacks the brain in 1985. So because the damage was to an area of his brain required to transfer memories from working memory to long-term memory, he's completely unable to form lasting new long-term memories and is therefore limited to a short-term memory of between 7 and 30 seconds. To the extent <sighs> that he will greet his wife like a long-lost friend, even if she only left to go into the kitchen 30 seconds ago. Man. So he still recalls how to play the piano, though. He recalls how to conduct a choir, even though he has no recollection of having received a musical education. And he's in this constant state of thinking he just woke up. Like Uh nearly every entry of his journal says in one way or another, I am awake. And when shown past entries, he denies he wrote them, gets upset when confronted with his condition. And so like the professionals who tend to him are therefore trained to speak only in the immediate present without any indication that they already know him. So it is like fucking fifty-first dates. Where yeah. it's like every day she wakes up, he's like, "Pop in this video. Yeah, this is gonna you, give you an I idea wake of what's up going with on." The, with the deal, but she at least, you know, Drew Barrymore's character at least accepts. Like, oh, this is my thing. It sounds like with Mr. Wearing, you have to just be like, "Hey, Clive, yeah, nice to it, meet you." It's
0: nice in a movie to have them recognize and yeah. be like, "Oh, this is my thing. Oh, this is beautiful and right. cute that I deal with this I every mean, day."
1: She went through a process of being like, "Why?" It sounds like. <laughs> I would fucking do that. What would you do if every thirty seconds someone was like, "Dude,"
0: I would do the same thing every thirty seconds. You know, awful. like, uh, yeah. I mean, living that goldfish life. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Because they also went in. Not to bring this, make this about fifty-first dates, but it's like they go to some facility where a guy is like, "Yeah, goldfish brain," and it's uh-huh. just like, "Hi, how are you? My name's Stan. Love up." Right. Hi, Hi,
0: how, how are you? you? My oh yeah.
1: What a nightmare.
0: That. The fucked up ways that the brain can turn on you is one of the scariest things about brains. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I looked a bit into Ginkgo by Loba which is a supplement Um, that they claim will help improve your memory and all sorts of shit.
1: Yeah, is it memory or is it just like clarity in general? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There's no specifics.
0: There's a lot of like, it improves your intelligence, it improves your memory, it does all this. Of course. It comes from this tree that's actually known as a living fossil because it survived various extinction events. The tree lives for thousands of years, but we think it existed more than 150 million years ago. Okay. So it's like a very old species. All right. Doctors in Europe have been using it for a long time for treating dementia, and at first they they thought that it improved the blood flow to the brain, and then I read that some studies have indicated that it may protect nerve cells from damage in Alzheimer's. Okay. Now, notice that I say some studies, and indicated, and may protect, and all that kind of stuff. Seems a little bogus. I started looking up, like, what are these studies? And essentially, I found the opposite. Right. Early, small, poorly put together studies showed that there may be some cognitive improvement. Mm -hmm. Recent extensive studies have shown that it does not prevent dementia in Alzheimer's. It does not increase intelligence. It does not boost memory. And there's no evidence that it reduces the normal cognitive decline that comes with aging.
1: Not terribly surprised.
0: No. But just because that study was done more recently and is larger doesn't mean it's like the be-all, end-all of definitive Sh- truth. Sure, it. sure.
1: It just seems, is it possible to have a, like just a supplement make your brain remember things better well just seems...
0: you, you can kind of g- wrap your head around the idea of like if it reinforces the strength of the neurons mm-hmm. then the maybe the proteins that come in with Alzheimer's are not going to destroy those neurons as effectively like right. you can wrap okay. your head around sure. why it might do a thing I mean I think it does change mood uh-huh. is like a thing that it's been known to do it like it changes it, it affects your body but it has no effect on your cognitive abilities
1: well it makes me wonder even just like You know, when you think of not narcotics, but like pharmaceuticals, like antidepressants Mm. and those things that are clearly changing brain chemistry in order to make people deal with either their, I don't know, ADD, Mm -hmm. depression, whatever. That same thing could be true. Mm-hmm. For these other things, you know, especially in terms of Eastern medicine or alternative medicine, I, a, a lot of herbal shit that's supposed to help your brain. But right. I wonder with our talks about the placebo effect, right. if that's essentially what's taking place, which does not mean that it is without value. Because right. we've learned that the pr- placebo effect is extremely powerful.
0: Well, these studies that they did on Ginkgo definitely included all, a placebo group. And the studies showed that... Ginkgo does nothing. Oh, okay. Um, But that said, it's still one of the most popular dietary supplements for brain health. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of old data, but a few years ago, Americans spent more than $107 million in one year on ginkgo. Right. So it's like a big industry of bullshit.
1: Right, because well, there are like brain foods that they say. Right, there's right. like with the, whether it's like the omega three fatty acids, like all the stuff that's supposed to help with the proteins in the brain and whatnot. Right, like I'm not trying to be cynical about this idea mm-hmm. of the mind body connection or that you know certain things that you introduce to your system are going to make your neurons fire in a different way or whatever. Right. It just I'm also very skeptical of. The supplement industry that's yes. sort of like, you'll remember better if you take this. Well,
0: because the supplement industry lives in this weird place where you don't have to verify that your supplements work. Right.
1: It doesn't have to be like approved by the FDA. Right. You know? Like
0: you're you're choosing to live in a world of alternative medicine mm-hmm. and that's inherently questionable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's inherently wrong, but it mm. means that it's questionable. All right. A much more effective way to keep your brain sharp is doing crosswords and generally exercising it. Yes
1: thinking. Fucking use it, dog.
0: <laughs> like, we, uh, studies have shown that that does seem to delay dementia, but we're still not sure how much and all that. Yeah. But we know that that's not going to hurt.
1: Well, and also so so much of that is genetically inclined, yes. right? Like you you have people in your family that have Alzheimer's or early onset dementia, but it totally makes sense. Like
0: Exercise your brain. Yeah,
1: fucking keep up that Sudoku. You'll be fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a couple more types of amnesia. Oh, shit. Again, just to add to the mystery and wonder of the human brain. So
0: many different types. Yeah. Of, of brain ailments.
1: That's right. There's this umbrella called psychogenic amnesia, which is also known as functional amnesia or dissociative amnesia, and it results from the effects of severe stress or psychological trauma on the brain rather than from a physical or physiological cause. So it's often considered to be equivalent to the clinical condition known as repressed memory syndrome. Okay. Getting very Freudian with so there are two main types of psychogenic amnesia there's transient global amnesia and situation specific amnesia so transient global is this sudden temporary episode of memory loss that can't be attributed to a neurological condition such as epilepsy or stroke and there's this temporary loss of personal identity lasting a few hours or days often accompanied by severe stress or depression and like kind of wandering confusion it's also known as the fugue state
0: Oh, I've heard I of that. I just
1: rewatched Breaking Bad. And remember that, that phone, that was a scam. Well, that, that was, was a scam, That was a scam yeah. fugue state. Yeah. But, you know, he shows up in the supermarket naked and is just like, well, I don't know how to got here. And that's how we got Well, it was we a real, out.
0: like, how is he going to get out of this one? And then he was like, fugue state, <laughs> fugue got state, it, nailed it.
1: I guess I'm going to get this naked in the store. This is my one-time
0: ticket for this fugue state <laughs> excuse.
1: Exactly. And yeah. it was still shoddy, but whatever. Now, like, during one of these episodes, you you can't really recall events. Like, you don't know how you got there. Scientists think that TGA occurs as the result of seizure-like activity or a brief blockage of the blood vessels supplying your brain. So it does occur more frequently in middle-aged and older adults.
0: So it's like mini-stroke. Yeah,
1: of. yeah. That's what, it, that's what it sounds like. But again, it's, like, super rare and generally always... Temporary. Mm. So <laughs> this is also rare, but certain activities can result in a temporary brain fog. For example, sex has been reported to cause this with oh, patients shit. forgetting the past day or so and having difficulty forming new memories.
0: Oh man, the uh, the partner would be so proud I know. of themselves.
1: Like I sexed you so good you forgot what day it was. <laughs> yep. Basically that. I mean so, <laughs> there's no serious side effects of this. It's just, you Except know, like some I said
0: great sex. Yes.
1: <laughs> just a few being like God, did I have to do something today? I don't know. In a
0: few hours, I'll know. It doesn't really matter.
1: Because <laughs> yeah, I got laid. Yeah, it's yeah I great. did what
0: was important. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, situation-specific amnesia is a type of psychogenic amnesia that occurs as a result of a severely stressful event as part of a like, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's like so, seeing
0: your wife be murdered.
1: Like seeing your wife be murdered, mm-hmm. like Lenny did. So those at increased risk includes those that were sexually or physically abused during childhood, those mm-hmm. who experienced domestic violence terrorist acts, soldiers suffering from PTSD, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, Freudian psychology suggests that psychogenic amnesia is an act of self-preservation where the alternative might be overwhelming anxiety or even suicide. Now, unpleasant, unwanted, or psychologically dangerous memories are repressed or blocked from entering the consciousness as a kind of subconscious self-censorship, but they do remain in the unconscious. These repressed memories could be recovered spontaneously years or decades after the event, you know triggered by a smell a taste some other identifier Uh it also might be accessed by psychotherapy hypnotism other techniques but this is difficult to distinguish because you know how do you distinguish between a true repressed memory from a false one without corroborating evidence so it's like kind of tread lightly but it doesn't seem like you should completely discredit if for whatever reason you're like oh it's triggered this memory in myself and blah 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 Yeah. So it was crazy to think about this idea that like the constant remembering and reimagining of traumatic events, they cause them to be reinforced and reconsolidated time after time. So it becomes like the memory is so strong and realistic that it's almost like it's a new memory. Like it's happening over and over again. Like you said, these memories have to be refiled. And again, this same episode that we covered before, there's this example where you can use beta blockers such as pro. Propanolol, propanolol. Uh-huh. I think I remember struggling to say that word. <laughs> so the the therapist, while repeatedly reading a detailed account of the traumatic event, the propanolol will cause the neurons to act so that it's like basically they it's can hear. Again. They can no, they can hear the memory, and it no longer affects them the way it does because oh. of using this beta blocker.
0: Oh, so okay, it That's... becomes
1: just another story without the like traumatic
0: emotions. associations yeah That you don't re-feel those emotions again you can hear it and be more dissociated from yeah. the event yeah wow. and
1: and in the discussion we had before about memories we like you know on a philosophical level we're talking about how like yeah if there's something that is debilitating mm-hmm. like if you suffered some kind of trauma that's so so intense that it debilitates your life I have no issue with the kind of eternal Eternal sunshine shining of it of getting it away but it sounds like you could just beta block it and know that the memory is there not completely forget it but just not have the trauma because remember we're like but pain also makes you right but then we were
0: talking about like i can't say to a rape victim that they have to remember that exactly and and re-experience those emotions and so if you can still remember your memories but be more dissociated from the ones that are really debilitating Mm -hmm. that is a great step because this evolutionary process of being able to repress memories that is clearly built into us for a reason Mm -hmm. through our entire history of being humans it must have been some fucked up shit that you (laughs) saw and you saw some stuff or did some things that you're like in order to go on with my life and not like hate myself Mm -hmm. forever or really just be debilitated by these things you have to not be thinking about them all the time
1: right because it's like there's a difference between learning from your mistakes and learning from your past and allowing that to inform how you enter the world from then on and again having such anxiety that you eventually kill yourself because right. you can't deal with it it's like there's that's what's lovely about us knowing more and more about the brain is how to find right. that, like that balance because it's like I don't necessarily want to eliminate every negative thing that happened in my life from right. my memory right. But certainly if there was something that was like, oh, man, I can't even go to work. It's almost like like
0: trying to get some kind of closure on a thing. It's like that difference in the way that you look at an experience because it still makes you you and it's not removing it from having existed. But when you have closure on something that was really a difficult time for you, you can then essentially do this more dissociated feeling on your actions before and really still learn it without having it. Ruin, ruin your, your life. life. Yeah, exactly. totally,
1: totally. Now, finally, there's a certain kind of amnesia that we all experience. Oh, my and God. that is infantile amnesia.
0: Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So
1: this is the label given to this, the common inability of adults to remember the earliest years of their childhood, typically from birth until around four years old. Mm-hmm. Now, there's people out there I know that are like, no, I remember when I was three and we went to the movies and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh whatever man you might have some bits and pieces in there but most of the time it sounds like that's some fucking false memories or at least like corroborated by you know a picture accompanying or whatever Right?
0: you know what i think happened to me once or twice when i was really little was like Around age six or seven, I would be told a story by my family about something I did at age two or three. And, so, and then I right. would dream about it. Right. And then the dream would become my memory. Right. And so I would be like, oh, no, I do remember that. And, but really what you are remembering is a dream you had that was inspired by a thing your family told you. Yeah.
1: Hell yeah. I mean, there's a reason why in, in you know, any kind of legal case they're like, document what took place mm-hmm. at these times. You're not going to be like, well, it was somewhere around January 12th that right. uh, so-and-so, I think. Think I think he threw a snowball at my house. Pretty sure Pretty he did. Sure you know, it was him. Yeah. Now with this infantile amnesia, various hypotheses have been put forward, including again Sigmund Freud's theory of the repression of memories of traumatic events that occur in the psychosexual development of every child. But there's also like the lack of neurological development of the infant brain that's necessary to actually create long-term memories. Mm-hmm particularly the hippocampus and prefrontal cortex, which do not develop into mature sh- structures until the age of three or four.
0: And that's the stuff that involves the movement of short-term to long-term? Or... H- the
1: hippocampus especially is is part of this consolidation from short-term to long-term. Well, that, so would, if it, that uh, tracks perfectly. Hello! <laughs> like, yeah, guys, it's not true that you remember that time. Right. So there's also to consider the incomplete development of language in infants so that autobiographical memories are not encoded in a manner that their language-based adult self can interpret correctly mm. because even if you would experience something, you experience it as goo goo Right. You're not experiencing it as like...
0: As words. Yes, yeah, so that... I was lying
1: in the bassinet and I looked out the window and I saw the light peering through, you know what I mean? So it's...
0: Well, I also, I like the idea of it being repressed memories because it's like, it's like being introduced to this fucking harsh world totally. that's all fucked up and you're like, what? Right. The air is weird and yeah. like I breathe all the time and exactly. like all of this is like it's too hard to handle and so you forget... So, so
1: much... Stimulus happening all at once. Right, you're like right. I was in this dark, warm place, Beautiful and now I've got place. these giants <laughs> running around in yeah. my face and like constantly touching me.
0: And then I like tripped and I fu- fell and like it hurt it on hurt. my knee. It fucking sucked. Like really yeah, bad. I
1: don't think necessarily it all has to be this like Freudian like you obviously repressed yeah, memory I of being it, I molested love that as a idea child. More than <laughs>
0: anything. Yeah.
1: yeah, you're like it's not the repression of of like actual trauma inflicted on you. It's just the trauma of being of alive. Being
0: alive, because right? Because
1: life. Fucking sucks and it only gets worse from here
0: (laughs) but i think it's probably more that you didn't really develop the ability to transfer to long term that's right
1: you're like the hippocampus wasn't developed yet guys that's why yeah so that's amnesia of all kinds (laughs)
0: Polaroid pictures feature heavily in this movie. Oh,
1: yeah. Leaving clues.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to look into exactly how they work because mm. they're an interesting little device. They are.
1: They're so th- instant, man.
0: T- yeah, they are. <laughs> to think about what an instant camera is, it's basically an entire developing studio built in to this mm. tiny little device. With traditional photographic film, the film is a, basically it's a plastic base with particles of silver compound which is sensitive to light on top of it. Okay. Color film has three layers of silver on top of the plastic. The top layer is sensitive to blue light, the next layer is sensitive to green, and the bottom layer is sensitive to red. Wow. So when you expose the film to light, the grains of silver at each layer react to the light and form metallic silver there.
1: Oh, that's fucking awesome.
0: This gives the chemical record of the light and the color pattern. To then make that into a picture, you drop the film into a few different chemicals, right. which includes dye developers. And the dye then reacts with each layer of silver on the film and makes the colors come out.
1: That's what all those folks in the dark rooms are
0: doing. With that's the exactly chemicals and the dipping. That's the what they're doing. red
1: light and the, oh gosh, okay. E-
0: exactly. So in a Polaroid, the film itself actually, it has the layers of light-sensitive grains of silver, but it also contains more layers which have all the chemicals and dyes that would be needed for the development process. Wow. And the Polaroid film itself is basically a chemical chain reaction that's ready to be set in motion. The modern Polaroid camera was invented in the 70s. Okay. This one that we all picture of like where it like right. shoots out Ging. the front of it. Yeah. So when the camera spits out the freshly taken photo, it passes through some rollers which spread out the chemical material like a rolling pin and allow it to all mix together and react. There's even a layer of material that makes the photo opaque at first. This is like right. a chemical that makes it black. And then and then it, over time the chemicals filter through to the opaque layer and make the opaque layer clear.
1: That's why you shake it like a polaroid picture. No, let, you're me not supposed to to let me get to that. Let me get to that. Okay. <laughs> get ahead of me.
0: <laughs> so so what you're waiting for in the minute or two after you take the polaroid isn't the actual development of the picture, but the chemical reaction to reach the opaque layer to reveal the already finished picture below. Right. Shaking the Polaroid picture as Outcast would like you to do, not only does nothing, but it actually increases the chances of you ruining the picture.
1: Right, because I've learned later, they were like, actually, Outcast or Andre 3000, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, <laughs> exactly. you're not supposed to shake it. It makes it worse.
0: But the action comes from a super old type of instant film technology, which was a peel apart version of film. You'd physically peel apart the positive and the negative after the photo was developed, and then it had to dry before being handled. So waving the photo around helped it dry more quickly. But Even that wasn't really necessary then because you would just lay it down and it would dry anyway. just
1: leave for a second.
0: So it was never like a good thing to do and it just carried over to a time where like Polaroids were totally not needing that process. It just
1: doesn't have the same ring if you're like, leave it, leave it, leave it like a Polaroid. (laughs) Let it sit flat on the ground. Stand
0: there. (laughs) (laughs) Wait two minutes. Do you have any favorite lines?
1: I thought the one truly poignant line that I liked from old Guy Pierce's face was, how am I supposed to heal if I can't feel
0: time? That's a good one.
1: And I appreciate that because we use that all the time to suggest how to get over any traumas. Time time heals heals all all wounds. wounds. But if if really it's like a fresh wound Mm -hmm. every day, you're not really ever going to heal.
0: That's exactly right.
1: So... So I don't know, Guy Pierce. I don't
0: know. <laughs> How are you supposed to heal if you can't feel time? <laughs> the line I wrote down was from Joey Pants talking to him. He's like, so you lie to yourself to be happy. We all do it. Totally. And it's like this whole idea that he's set in motion a, a goal for himself that he in the future won't even know is fake Mm -hmm. but it's just having a purpose is what he's giving to himself and so we lie to ourselves all the fucking time Well,
1: i feel like the through line for everything that we talk about with these movies is just like yeah that that need to go on that need to have some like if you start every day being like it doesn't matter what i do because i'm not going to remember it tomorrow it's like why don't you kill yourself like what is the point of life so if he has to lie to himself now of course what well, he has to do to lie to himself and like the people he has to kill and all of this stuff right, in right. this movie it's like well maybe you should just accept the Well truth, I think but- about
0: it in my own life it's like you know I mean if I'm really pushed with a lot of these ideas that we talk about I'm like well nothing really matters mm. but then I, I kind of lie to myself to allow myself to be like no things that I do do matter they affect the people around me but then I also feel that that's not really a lie but am I lying to myself to, about that being a lie? It's I don't at, know.
1: It's at least the acknowledgement. And I would say that it's kind of finding the freedom within the reality that nothing you do matters and it doesn't mean anything. But for whatever <laughs> blip of time that we're on this planet, we create our meaning in our lives. And right. that has to be enough. Right. Like it like calling
0: almost- that a lie is a little bit. I don't know, yeah. like, putting it down, but it's actually more of, like, a lie is, has such a negative connotation, but I feel like it's more of a positive thing to yeah, be Yeah,
1: or, or, like, it's one of those, th- there's no moral absolutism when it comes to the lies we tell ourselves in order to get through the day. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. again, what is the alternative? Do you want me to just jump off a bridge now? Right. Or, you know, like, or do you want me to live in this nihilistic, like, just nothing matters, right. nobody likes me because well, I'm just bitter.
0: It also goes to a really fucked up place if you start being like, well, how did the Nazis get through it? Yeah, you know? right, right. They, they lied to themselves about what they were doing.
1: Right. I don't think that's what you're doing.
0: I don't think that's what I'm doing. <laughs> no, I'm not quite on that level. One but, day.
1: Okay, we have just learned that the human brain is fascinating and mysterious and complicated as fuck yep. and it's ultimately just a bunch of chemicals and neurons firing and stuff and yet we're able to compose symphonies yeah we're able to we're able to do these amazing incredible things and
0: beautiful works yes yeah, just
1: beautiful works left right and sideways
0: well you guys should join us next week because we're doing jet lee's the one Oh I man, fucking, I I love it. I love oh, that movie. God. It's such a silly fun. It time. was fun.
1: That was also delightful in millennial. I'm glad to kind of catch up with these movies that just like didn't make them their way into my queue.
0: Yeah, when you were 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, <sighs> gently. <sighs> in in the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes, please. You can find us at oh, thing.com and on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Oh, uh, and Instagram at oh that's a thing. I'm at it's a joya mia on Instagram and Twitter.
0: I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. And yeah, we'll see you guys next week for The One. See you there. Bye.